listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with me, Jade Elliott, where we talk all things pregnancy, children, and parenting. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health. You're listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott. Joined today by Dr. Jessica Page with Intermountain Healthcare. You're a maternal fetal medicine specialist with Intermountain Healthcare. You specialize uh, in high risk pregnancies. You've studied miscarriages, stillbirths, um, you know, things that can be hard to talk about, but very important to talk about. And we appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, we're talking in this episode of the Baby Your Baby podcast about understanding stillbirth and kind of what that looks like um, and how to cope with it, coping with late-term pregnancy loss. Um, You know, losing a baby at all can be completely devastating, uh, whether, you know, it's early on in a pregnancy through miscarriage or later in your pregnancy then uh, as a stillbirth. Um, You're going to kind of walk us through some of this, help us understand Uh, why the fetal demise can sometimes occur. Um, It can be a complex topic. Uh, I know that, you know, it's continued to be studied as to why it happens and when it happens. Um, But you're going to, you're going to answer some of our questions for us and um, explain to our listeners, you know, a little more about it. So, you know, we we talk about stillbirth and we talk about miscarriage. Um, What is the difference? What is a stillbirth? How is it different from having a miscarriage? I feel like the term miscarriage is something we hear a lot more often than mm-hmm. stillbirth. Absolutely. And part of that is because miscarriage is more common than stillbirth. Um, so again, miscarriage, generally speaking, refers to pregnancy loss uh, at 12 weeks or earlier. And in the United States, stillbirth is typically defined as pregnancy loss at 20 weeks or greater. So it's uh, farther along in pregnancy. Um, Although those losses that occur earlier on in the second trimester, you know, between like 13 to 19 weeks, those are sometimes managed similarly similarly to stillbirth and are um, also less common than a miscarriage in the first trimester. And so you'd say they're less common. But how common are stillbirths in general? So in general, in the United States, stillbirth occurs in approximately six per 1,000 pregnancies. So it is somewhat rare, less than 1%, um, but still happens more frequently um, than we want it to. Uh, In terms of research going on in this field, we're looking at ways that we can reduce that rate even further. Um, we feel that there's still work to be done in that regard. And it's just so important just to talk about it too, you know, and, and let women know that it, it unfortunately does happen, but you know, that they're not the only ones that it happens to. Um, and that it isn't as common as, you know, maybe some would fear um, and so I think it's important that we, you know, we shed some light on the topic. Absolutely. Uh, what what can cause it? What can cause a stillbirth? Um, so stillbirth can happen for a variety of reasons, and it can sometimes be hard to uh, figure out what exactly caused it. 
uh, in general, stillbirth in and of itself is defined by a baby that's born that's not alive. Um, so for some pregnancies, this happens because a mom has gone into preterm labor at a gestational age at which a baby can't survive on the outside at less than about 23 to 20, 24 weeks. So sometimes a stillbirth occurs in that setting where a baby you know, was born really early because of a preterm labor process that we were not able to stop. Um, in other pregnancies, sometimes a baby is discovered to have passed away on the inside. Um, and then it's our job to figure out why did this happen? Um, sometimes it happened as a result of medical complications uh, that present in the mom, um, sometimes such as like diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, autoimmune conditions, um, infections. And in general, those can lead to uh, impaired uh, fetal well-being, oftentimes by way of compromising how well the placenta works to support that baby. Um, sometimes it happens because the umbilical cord is uh, occluded for some reason. Occasionally they can get a knot in them or something like that that is especially frustrating because that's very hard to predict. It's rare, um, but one of those things that we wouldn't have any strong predictors or preventers of. Are there tests that can be done? Is there anything um, that can maybe help, you know, a woman and their family determine the cause of a stillbirth? And, you know, if so, I imagine that's got to be important information going forward. Absolutely. This is one of the most important things that we work with families on is what can we do to figure out why this happened? And this is important for several reasons. Um, chiefly, it's important because sometimes finding a cause for the loss of that child can help patients to achieve emotional closure. Um, this can be a really, this is obviously a very hard thing to deal with, and it can be even harder to process if there's not any clear reason why. Um, and then additionally, if we can find a cause that this happened, it can help inform management of a future pregnancy that might uh, help us to achieve a, a live baby um, and a better outcome. And then additionally, on top of that, um, knowing what happened and the ongoing causes of stillbirth help us as care providers to understand better you know, what's going on, who's at highest risk, how can we better prevent these um, for women in the future in general. So it really helps us from a patient care and research perspective that way so that we can reduce the rate of stillbirth overall. You know, when we talk to patients about, you know, what tests can we do to help us figure out what happened um, to this baby, um, the tests that are actually the most helpful in helping us to know, you know, what happened in, in this particular setting are an examination of the baby called a fetal autopsy and then an examination of the placenta, which is called placental pathology. And these can be really hard things to talk about when a patient has just lost their child. Um, and so we try to provide information both early on and then throughout the process, giving them all the, you know, the details about each of these exams and how it works. Um, in particular, Fetal autopsy is important um, because it can help to identify a potential cause of death in 30 to 50% of cases. And so that's a pretty high number. Um, and this entails an exam of the baby, both externally and internally. Um, and it really is 
is good because they can maybe detect anomalies that we didn't know about ahead of time. They can see if there's evidence of infection um, and really get a better sense of what was the pathologic process that led to this child's death. Um, there are options for this. Sometimes we can do just imaging only. Um, you can say, you know, you know, patients can tailor the exam to whatever they feel most comfortable with, but even following a full autopsy, families can still do normal like funeral arrangements for the baby afterward. The incisions from the exam are hidden by standard clothes. Um, and so these are, you know, things that it's really important to talk families through because this is such a hard thing to go through and they you want them to know both that this is something that they could still hold their baby and see their baby after having done and that is very useful for helping to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other test that is should always be performed is placental pathology. That can help us to identify a cause of death in 60 to 80% of cases. Um, because it can show abnormalities in the placenta um, that may have impaired circulation. It can show infection, um, abnormalities of the umbilical cord. So it's really helpful in pointing us toward a cause of death um, in these cases. Other tests that we recommend in most cases of stillbirth are uh, testing for a syndrome called antiphospholipid syndrome. This is an acquired autoimmune condition that uh, clinically in pregnancy, we can see patients either having recurrent miscarriage or a fetal death um, as an indicator that this might be present. Um, And so this just involves a blood test for mom and is important to rule out because it would impact future management of uh, pregnancies. And then genetic testing is also a reasonable thing to offer in most cases of miscarriage. Um, it can identify uh, abnormalities that might not have been uh, detected on a standard like genetic screening test that most pregnant women get uh, and can also help inform uh, recurrence risk and and, uh, and, and and think about too, you know, how, you know, did we find a cause here and having that help provide some emotional closure. Well, and like you mentioned, you know, the emotional side of this can be just devastating. Uh, you know, to a family, and and the topic itself is just hard to get through at times, and, you know, talking to your patients after it's happened, but then, you, you know, you mentioning the importance of, of going through some of these exams or tests, um, not only to help that family understand as to why it maybe happened, and, and possibly how to make sure it doesn't happen again, um, but also, as you were mentioning, for research, you know, as this is something that is continued uh, to be studied to try to understand more as to why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, um, you know, that's important. Um, but it is so emotional. It is such a, a hard topic to, you know, even discuss, let alone just imagining even going through something like this. Um, you know, we know it takes a toll on the family, uh, on the mother, um, but this also has to take a toll, of course, um, you know, on the labor and delivery nurses, on the OBs, on the midwives, um, anyone who is a part of this, this pregnancy, um, you know, so how, how do they continue to, you know, offer comfort and, um, you know, guidance to some of these families who've experienced stillbirth. 
Yeah, um, it it is emotionally taxing on the healthcare providers involved in the care too, because we want the best for our patients. We want a good outcome. Um, I will say in obstetrics, we are in a unique position where we sort of often see the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Um, and we are, uh, you know, it's meaningful to us to still to help families through these hard times, just like the good times. Um, and so, uh, you know, as care providers in a care team, we really work together to continually try to provide a compassionate care that the family, you know, kind of like tailored to each family's individual needs throughout their uh, care process from the time of diagnosis through delivery. Um, we really try to uh, make sure that we are meeting that family where they're at. And part of that is, you know, helping them to decide who is in the room with them. Um, what information would you like to talk about right now? When, you know, when can we come back and maybe review things? Because oftentimes when you've received devastating news like this, it doesn't matter how much, how clearly or uh, we would explain something. Sometimes you just can't hear things because you've just had the worst news of your life and you need some time to process that before making decisions about when and where to deliver. What tests am I going to do? You know, how, how will we um, say goodbye to this child? Um, so it's an important thing for us as care providers to make sure that we uh, adequately communicate that information and, and show support, not just at the beginning of the process, but throughout and, and help the patient develop a clear roadmap for uh, her care. Uh, this is, you know, as you know, in, in both in pregnancy and life and now in the pandemic, everything feels a little bit uncertain. And so providing a patient a clear roadmap for what to expect as she works her way through this process is really important. Yeah, because you, like you were saying, you know, sometimes after receiving news like that, to retain to retain information can be so hard. You almost black out, and mm -hmm. you know everything else around you just stops. Um, and so, being able to you know walk a patient through that is crucial. Um, and you have another tool uh, that that families can utilize the cuddle cots. Talk to me a little bit about, about the cuddle cots and, and how that works and um, the emotional support that that can give to families as well. Um, so those are sort of cooled uh, bassinet type devices that families can utilize after the baby is born. Um, families can spend as much time as they want with their uh, child following delivery to have that time to meet and, uh, you know, just have those moments together that they uh, won't, you know, get again in the future. And so those help just to provide um, a, a, like a cooled uh, way for the baby to be sort of preserved while they spend that time together in the hospital. Which has to be a, such an emotional time, but also, um, you know, a time to grieve, but also a time to um, just kind of come to be as well. Yeah, and uh, and we, you know, work with families to uh, try to think about what sort of mementos and keepsakes might help them to following this process. 
Um, we'll often do molds of the hands or feet, um, hands and hand and foot prints. Sometimes families, you know, will take photos together that in that moment feel like, gosh, I don't know if I want to do this, but a lot of patients later on say that those, you know, being able to look back at those pictures of them together as a family was meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. And we're in the midst of, you know, a pandemic right now, of course, um, which already can magnify stress and emotion. Um, You know, support from others can be what we rely on. And so maybe some of those things aren't available to us right now. Um, this, the, what we're going through right now in this season of a pandemic, I'm sure can definitely impact uh, the extra stress and emotions for a woman or a family going through a stillbirth. Absolutely. I mean, the pandemic has been isolating and bringing an added level of uncertainty uh, to begin with. And then to have a horrible thing like this happen is just so challenging. And so we try to recommend to patients to really draw on the supports that they can, whether that's those in their immediate household with whom they can safely be around, um, virtually connecting with family and friends or, you know, getting together and, you know, in safe ways, maybe outdoors with masks, that kind of thing, just whatever they need to do to help themselves, like to help them move through this process is really important. Um, and, you know, and then there are, uh, like online support groups of families that have gone through, uh, stillbirth as well, that can be helpful for some people to, feel like they have a community that that understands um so these are all avenues that could be pursued and i know intermountain has a wide range of resources for um for women and families going through stillbirths uh or anyone experiencing that emotional uh distress of a situation like this and um one of the programs that you guys offer, I think, is such a neat program. We've actually done a, a Baby Your Baby podcast just on this program alone. And I'm talking about Intermountain's Angel Watch program, where you offer support for women experiencing pregnancy loss. Um, I think that this program is just amazing for families. Can you, you talk to us a little bit about the Angel Watch program? Angel Watch is great. They really provide... Uh bereavement support for families uh, experiencing loss of a child and they help them think you know navigate through the process in terms of you know how do you want to go through the delivery um who will be with you what sort of mementos are you going to have um and then navigating the complex complexities of you know it, how you talk about this with your family and with other folks, whether or not you designate a spokesperson to speak on your behalf, if you need time, you know, without a lot of texts and phone calls, you know, you want someone to sort of manage that while you spend time with the child and, and grieve, um, you know, a, a whole range of, of things. They're really an excellent resource. And it's a free resource. It's available to anyone, um, not just, Intermountain patients, and so I think that's incredible as well. Um, of course, there's all the information on the Intermountain Healthcare website about the Angel Watch program, 
And then, like I mentioned, we, we did an entire um, podcast about it as well. So for any of our listeners who are interested or curious about it, um, you can find that episode also. And then Intermountain also, you know, you offer your emotional health relief hotline uh, for people to call as well if they need that extra support. Absolutely. So this is a free hotline um, that is available seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And it has a a behavioral health coordinator, sorry, emotional health coordinator um, that can provide self-care resources um, and can provide community resources as well, peer support, treatment options, and crisis um, crisis counseling resources and more. So there's really a lot of um, options there. And then same with your behavioral health access centers. You have walk-in centers um, throughout the state through Intermountain that people can utilize. Yes, we have um, walk-in behavioral health access centers open 24 hours a day in uh, Salt Lake City at LDS Hospital, um, in Ogden at McKay-D, and then in St. George at Dixie Regional. Um, So those are great uh, resources as well for a patient that uh, needs urgent in-person care. Well, I appreciate your time so much, Dr. Page. And kind of walking us through what, you know, it, it is a hard conversation to have. It is a hard topic to touch on. Um, the loss of any child at any age is completely devastating uh, for a family. So I appreciate you talking to us about it and um, kind of walking us through some of the options that, you know, you guys offer to families um that are going through a stillbirth. So we appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that concludes this episode of the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, and Dr. Jessica Page with Interrupt Healthcare. Thanks for joining me, Jade Elliott, and our guest for this week's Baby Your Baby podcast. If you have a topic that you'd like our Baby Your Baby experts to discuss, leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 News podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health.